I think it's really important to be coachable. So back to that idea we were talking about, um, I believe, you know, my board and my investors are behind me as a CEO because they believe I, I, I'm a good, sound decision maker, that I'm coachable. I mean, even today, uh, I was in a number of meetings where I consulted with either outside experts or internal experts. And when I make these decisions, um, again, they believe in the assumptions I'm making and, and that I've done the diligence to do it. And I, I think, I mean, there's a lot of different ways into the CEO space. It certainly helps when you help found the company from the beginning and you grow with it. But you'd be surprised. Not at, not everyone who find, like is a founder of a company is well-suited to uh, stay in that seat as the company grows. Oftentimes, you need to change out your executive leadership or key positions just because different people are better suited for different, different roles. Welcome to the Unlocking Your People podcast. We believe that successful businesses run on people and relationships. The better your people perform, the better your business will perform. This show is dedicated to business owners and team builders that are looking to get the best out of their people and workforce. Each episode will be a strategy, a message, and even tips and tricks to help you create and cultivate a passionate workforce for your organization. Your host has spent her career helping companies and leaders handle the tough people stuff at work and helping people work better together so they can increase their impact and their results. CEO of E3 Consulting, Jess Chapman. Hello, everyone. In this episode, I am joined by Chris Gardner, who is the CEO of Sequence Bio. When I was thinking about guests for the show, Chris was a very natural choice. I recently met a new member of Chris's leadership team, and we were having our usual onboarding conversation. And that individual made the comment that they had never worked anywhere with such an interest in people and why people do what they do. And that certainly rings true for me. Chris has a a very clear view of the importance and benefit of building people and teams, the need to focus on teams, especially in a remote environment. And Sequence has been remote from the beginning of its operations and the importance of developing and readying people for growth. So I'm excited to have him here and let him share his insights with us all. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for listening in. Um, As you know, the premise of this podcast series is all about unlocking people, exploring and discussing the ways we can build better workplaces, work better with others, unlock performance and potential and so on. And I'm thrilled today to be joined for our conversation by Chris Gardner. So Chris is the CEO of Sequence Bio, which is a biotechnology company headquartered here on the east coast of Canada. So welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, Jess. Very welcome. Very glad you're here. So I think that Sequence is quite a unique organization in a lot of different ways, starting with the premise of what you do, but also to some of the things you've been able to achieve. So perhaps you can tell everybody listening a bit more about Sequence Bio and what you do. Sequence Bio is a data-driven drug discovery company. Uh, We're based here in St. John's, Newfoundland. And what a lot of people don't understand or realize is that uh, Newfoundland and Labrador has a globally unique opportunity. That's the settlement patterns from the 1700s uh, created a unique genetic pool that makes it easier to find new targets for drugs or to help facilitate the um, validation of uh, drug targets found elsewhere. And it really comes down to when you're dealing with genetic data, 
you're talking about gigabytes and gigabytes massive. It's the original big data. And when you can simplify that in any way, shape, or form, it makes it easier to, to do this type of work. And, and that's unique to, to Newfoundland and Labrador. And Sequence Bio is a company that was created to help realize that opportunity right here at home. Very, it's very cool and very unique, but it's not the only unique thing I think about the way that sequence works. And when I was thinking about um, people who could join me to talk about the wonderful world of people, um, I was struck by a conversation I had had early on with one of your senior leadership team. So we hired somebody to join you at the top of the tree. And during his onboarding period, he said um, he had never worked anywhere that had such a focus and emphasis on understanding people and psychology. And, you know, this is somebody who's not two or three years in. This is a well-seasoned senior executive who's worked in some of the biggest organizations in the world. So, you know, what's your take on that comment? Is that how you see secrets? I think as a an almost psychology minor in my undergrad, that excites me. It's funny. It's I think psychology is a path uh, in another life I probably would have taken. Um, but no, that doesn't surprise me. We, we, we place an incredible emphasis on the individual, their working style, their mental frameworks, and we use that to try and help us be a higher performing team. What are, uh, are some of the things that you have done deliberately in that space that you think have been most valuable? Well, when we started working uh, with you, Jess, um, you, know, you presented us an opportunity to do a, a team-wide disk assessment, which is just one of... Uh, the frameworks you can use to help understand, again, how someone interacts, views the world. And so, um, you know, we, we did that. And I found that the process, both uh, for me as an individual, incredibly enlightening, but also enlightening to just see how different everyone in the team was, despite maybe what I thought they were. And so I'll, I'll just exercise I think earlier in my career, I came to work situations or, or stressful situations as me. And I was reviewing everything through my lens, which is particular and unique to me. And I think the process of introducing some of these psychological frameworks in the workplace allows you to understand someone else's perspective. So I, I always like to ask myself in a situation like, what could I have done better? And what I found was most of the time what I could have done better is to help communicate and work with somebody that's more tailored to their own individual style. And so being able to be the leader of a company and grow it, I deliberately and with intention uh, did it with that vocabulary and that framework in mind. So when anyone joins the company, they do a disk assessment as a, just a, a very you know, beginning step. And then they get to see where everyone else in the company is. Like we're very open and transparent about this and, and we celebrate it, right? We don't know one particular type or approach is better than another. They're different. And that's okay. And so we've made it really okay within the organization to celebrate that difference, to incorporate it, but even to, to think of it as a strength. So I can look down the roster of the team. And when I think about a particular project, I'm not just thinking about it in terms of their skills. I'm also thinking about it in terms of like their approach. What, what, what else from a, say, a psychological perspective can they bring to that project that could be a strength? So it's, it's almost leveraging a whole other dimension, I believe, uh, from each individual employee. Yeah, I've, I've certainly seen that piece and the, the piece that you just said that really resonated with me, I guess the lens I put on it is diversity. So from my perspective, I think Sequence does a really good job of 
focusing on diversity, not just the diversity we tend to think of, so ethnic background or gender or any kind of that stuff, although I think you do that well as well, but the the recognition that people are different and do things differently and you can fit within the cultural framework of sequence but still have your own your own preferences. So the diversity piece, I think you do have more of a lens on that than perhaps I've seen in other organisations. Yeah, it's all with intention. I think part of it is, um, you know, I'm a younger CEO and I'm working with a world world experts. And so the advice I was given really early on is if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And that is really the case at Sequence. So I, I often work with and, and have to manage by virtue of my CEO position, people who are much more knowledgeable about their specific areas than I could ever be. I can't get a PhD in every topic. And so I think from an early age, I've really respected the diversity of thought to issues and problems, uh, and then really wanted to build that in also to just interpersonal. And and that came from a place of, uh, I would say, acceptable weakness. Like when I took over the CEO role, I needed to look across my skills and say, like, where where am I weaker and where where are my strengths? And um, by accepting diversity, I can actually fill in weaknesses across our executive team or our broader team. And it's it's an open conversation. Again, we respect our differences because we we all come to the table knowing and, and naming our weaknesses and we try to help each other be great. Um, but more importantly, we can sort of backfill each other in certain areas. And the, uh, there's two things in that that I would want to put out really clearly. So that acknowledgement I think goes a really long way to the trust piece, right? If you can't build trust in an organisation, if you're pretending that you know how to do everything. So the conversation around that's not my area of expertise. I mean, sequence refers to Legos, right? So everybody has their Legos, but we talk about sharing the Legos and sharing the wealth of knowledge and experience across the organisation. And I think that's a really important part of your your cultural diversity. But I'd also say the other thing I really love about that is there are so many times I work with leaders who think they're supposed to have the answer. They think that because they are in the leadership position, when somebody comes to them with a question, they're supposed to know more than the person that reports to them. And when they realise that actually that's not the case and there's plenty of ways of leading when you don't have all the answers, it's a bit of a relief. So I really like that that message for the people who are listening to. I was very fortunate to have some good mentors wrapped around me um, when I took over the CEO position. And, and it was that acknowledgement that uh, I wouldn't have all of the skills and were willing, that's okay. And it really helped me reframe it. I think when people on the outside like to uh, look in and think the CEO is going to have all the answers, but I actually view the CEO role as facilitating strategic decisions. So it's about putting the right resources, the right minds on a problem and making sure we're making sound strategic decisions. So I actually focused with intention on, well, what does my role look like in facilitating these debates and these conversations? And then I look for flaws in logic. I look for risks that might not be at the table. These are areas I can add value in. And then that way I can ensure that when we're making a decision, we're making the most right strategic decision we can. I often describe it as uh, my job is to make sure we avoid making strategic decision failure. We, we won't always be right, but have we made the right decision based off the information available to us right now? So, you know, really drawing on the strengths and the value that you can add from the place and the context that you're currently in. You can't be the expert in the data or in the, you know, the, in the medicine even, but you can be the person that helps with the strategic side of things. So 
over the course of your career, how do you get to that place, right? So you don't magically wake up one morning and go, I'm going to be a CEO and I'm going to be a CEO who knows exactly what their value is and, and what I'm about. So what are some of the things that have helped you on your development journey that you might recommend to other people? Yeah, I think it's really important to be coachable. So back to that idea we were talking about, um, I believe, you know, my board and my investors are behind me as a CEO because they believe I, I, I'm a good, sound decision maker, that I'm coachable. I mean, even today, uh, I was in a number of meetings where I consulted with either outside experts or internal experts. And when I make these decisions, um, again, they believe in the assumptions I'm making and, and that I've done the diligence to do it. And I, I think, I mean, there's a lot of different ways into the CEO space. It certainly helps when you help found the company from the beginning and you grow with it. But you'd be surprised. Not at, not everyone who find like is a founder of a company is well suited to uh, stay in that seat as the company grows. Oftentimes, you need to change out your executive leadership or key positions just because different people are better suited for different different roles. And I knew that I wasn't uh, so for sequence bio. I wasn't coming in that role as a seasoned veteran with 30 years experience doing something. So I knew I was going to have to skill up along the way. And I was just very open and receptive to coaching. I mean, um, Jess, even with you. So you're a, in my mind, a an HR expert. I really value your opinion and your decision making. And we've worked together for a number of years now uh, where I lean on your expertise uh, every now and then to support what we're doing. Now, if, if I pretended or if I was arrogant enough to think that I'm, I was always right, we probably would have failed a long time ago. So I, I think you're, it's pretty astute, your assumption you made earlier on, or sorry, your, uh, your statement where a lot of CEOs feel like they need to have all the answers all the time. I actually think that's a bit of a flaw. So yeah. I'm just yeah. going to say my, my willingness to, um, to be coachable, my willingness to be flexible, on uh, you know strong opinions loosely held to to reevaluate my decision making process uh, has led me to make a number of strategic decisions that I think collectively have helped put me where I am right now. And there's a thread in what you're saying that came up in two of the other interviews that we did around value. Um, so one of the comments that Gina Pico made, who's the CEO of Genoa, who we also interviewed, was about knowing where your value is. So Gina talked about the growth of their organization when she came in and when she goes out. And at what point she says, you know, I'm no longer the right person to be CEO of an organization. And if we get to 75 million, should it be me or should it be somebody else with a different skill set or a different focus or a different lens in the CEO role? So I'm hearing, I think, a similar thread from you about knowing knowing what you bring to the table and knowing where that fits and knowing when it's your time and also knowing when it might not be. Yeah, and, um, you know, I often have open conversations with our, our staff. And, and recently, um, I won't name names, but I was talking with one employee who um, it kind of just came up. Someone else was asking them before making the decision to join our company. They said, well, what kind of leadership style does Chris have? What does he like to work with? And, and they were kind of digging in on the interview the other way around. And out of curiosity, I said, well, you know, you don't have to tell me, but I'd, I'd like to know how you answered that question. And the answer I got back, uh, I, was, I was pretty proud of. <laughs> it was, 
you know, the, the employee described it this way. They're like, you know, you might be thinking about a problem one way and like you can go to Chris because he's not always expecting you to have all the answers. And if you tell him the way you're thinking about something, he has a way of unlocking it or unsticking it. So you might be, you know, he could save you a day or two days by helping you sort of get to the end goal faster. And I love that because I do view that as one of my roles in facilitating decision-making within the company. It's, it's like helping our other employees make the right decisions, uh, but ultimately maybe helping them unstick it, but you want them to get there on their own too. And, you know, another mentor said to me, they said a lot of people compare, and I am going to use a sports analogy, so I apologize, but a lot of people said, you know, a lot of people think CEOs are the quarterback on the field in football. And he said, that's the wrong way to think about it. The CEO is actually the head coach. The CEO is the person who needs to make the decision of who's in what roles and doing what. But all these things, all these plays are going to happen. And, and you're not going to necessarily be the one who carries a ball across the line or gets something done. But you need to enable everybody to work together in the right direction with the right strategy. So that was another one of those things that just really stuck with me to help me realize, again, what is my role in all of this? In the organization. I love that because so often we can think of the senior leaders as being the ones who get the glory, you know, the the, the, the result is achieved and it's it, the, the CEO whose face is in the paper or is in the article, but it is the team collective. And there's a similar concept around kind of servant leadership, right? As a CEO or as a senior leader, your job is to remove the blocks and help people find their own way rather than being the one that carries the ball and does everything yourself so yeah and I, I don't think it's sustainable right I don't think if you are going to be a leader who is supposed to have all the answers if you're going to grow a complex organization I don't know how that's sustainable oh, it's definitely not I mean you need to be subdividing all these responsibilities and in, in if you're growing as a company and if you have to be involved in every decision you're going to hold your company back uh, you know you need to be delegating right up into the point in which you're scared. And if you're if you're just a little scared, uh, then you've delegated enough. But uh, and that's, that's hard, it's not easy to do. And especially, again, if you feel a certain sense of control o- over this. And so this is, I guess, to tie it back to the psychology piece, if I understand individual employees, how they approach problems, it helps me understand where I can add value. Because it it's uh, understanding whether or not it's through disk profile or Enneagram or any of, you know, there's a number of different frameworks out there, but they're all about understanding, like, what's your strengths, what your, what's your weaknesses, but, but I think most importantly, what's your blind spots? So I absolutely know my blind spots in decision making. And so I often will do gut checks with people on the, that specific thing, saying like, oh, okay, am I, am, is this happening here? What do you think? And I find someone else in the team who that's not their blind spot. And what, what I do in helping our other executive and other team is I try to hear their recommendations from their point of view and then help them to see what their blind spot spots might be. Yeah, the multiple lenses. Yeah, really neat. Are you enjoying the show this far? We know the people stuff in your business can be tricky to nail down. Each scenario feels unique on its own. We go through so many resources and tools with the podcast, it's tough to keep up. We get it. So what if you had all the right tools and training to help your organization be successful every single day with your people and the culture you're building? Jess and her team have created a range of training programs that can help you with all the different challenges of unlocking your people. For the challenges of leadership, there are two core programs. 
Elevate for supervisors and Propel for more senior leaders. Both programs dig deeper into the concepts, frameworks, and skills that you've heard throughout this podcast series. From building trust and empathy, to having those tougher people conversations, to managing conflict, and so much more. To see which program makes more sense for you, please go to www.e3.ca training for the full breakdown. The best part? All the programs are fully virtual and modular, meaning you can do them anywhere, anytime, and fit them into your busy schedule. And if you're facing particular challenges in building your team, managing change, or managing performance, we have online toolkits that can solve your unique challenges today. Once again, www.e3.ca slash training. Now, back to the show. I did want to ask about a particular area. So there's a topic that I think at the moment comes up a lot for people because we are living with a pandemic, and that is the topic of remote teams and remote working. So Sequence has been remote from the beginning. We've had a diverse group of people working in all kinds of different places. And from my perspective, the company and yourself have done a really good job of cementing a culture and building a team, despite the fact that nobody sits together in the same office or even in the same province for that, or even the same country in some cases. So um, what are some of your uh, tips, suggestions, recommendations for other companies who are trying to make that remote working work? Yeah, this, this is a challenging one. And um, I'm thankful that about 12 years ago in my career, I was at another company who out of necessity, we had to go remote for a short period of time because uh, we were moving offices and the leaseholds are lease expired in one location and the leaseholds weren't complete in the next location. So we had this two month period where we had to just go totally remote. And uh, as a VP in that company, it was my job to take the company remote which nowadays you're like, of course, everyone does that. But, you know, 12 years ago, that was actually much harder. Um, so we had to be very deliberate about, okay, how do you move a team that's used to being next to each other, having a water cooler there, having a chat and collaborating? How do you move them this way? So it's back to this theme of intention. I, I had, to, I thought about it and said, well, how can we intentionally do things differently to, to facilitate this type of work? And when I left that company to found Sequence Bio, I knew that we were going to have to work with people, world experts, often where they're located. So I built the company to be distributed from the beginning. And in order for these executives who live off the island to contribute, like I had to be intentional with how we work, how we show up to video conferences, how do we manage documents, how do we do all of that? And so I am thankful, Jess, that when the, when the pandemic hit, it was just second. It, it just worked for us. I mean, we didn't have to transition. It just did. And uh, but that was all because it was done with intention. So I will say, you know, right down to we have guidelines for how people are supposed to show up on their video conference. Seems simple, but we've all attended video conferences from hell, where you know whether or not it's someone sitting in a, a dark room and you can't see their face and they're just a shadow whether or not there's a, you know dogs barking in the background. And it's not a lot, but we, we just train our employees. We say, listen, think about, like you and I are on video right now. We're in totally separate places, but we're having a great conversation. But it's because we both have good lighting, good setup, right camera angles. We've done our best to minimize distractions you know, within our control. Uh, and we're able to engage this way. And so we just, we built that into our training. We just said, you know, hey, when you join the team, 
these are things we want you to do and we'll help you get there, whether or not you need extra equipment or whatever your own circumstances are. Uh, and it seems to just work. Simple, like one tip. <laughs> it's, if you have more than four people in a room, uh, just mute when you're not talking. It's as simple as that is, it changes the dynamic entirely. Like we, yeah. we have team meetings of, you know, we could have 40 people on a video call and they happen flawlessly without, you know, any background noise distracting us. But it's because we just, as a team, we kind of made up this, uh, we called it the flawless six. It's a set of six guidelines that everyone sort of has adopted. And we just said, yeah, this is how we show up on video as a team. We mute when we're not talking. You know, we're respectful of not talking over each other and, and kind of passing the buck around. Yeah. Um, and we do all those things. And yeah, it works. I mean, I've spent all of today talking to people all over you know, different parts of Canada, different parts of the United States, even different parts of St. John's, one meeting to another. And I think the the structures that you have, I mean, it's a, a lot of that stuff is about habit, right? Helping people create better habits. And if you don't have the habit of being on video, you don't necessarily know what works and what doesn't. But the other side of it, I think, is that I think is even more perhaps unique is the sense of team. So it's it's somewhat easy to create a team when everybody's in the same building and you can go for lunch and you see each other and you kind of get to know each other and you can have that two-minute chat and there's learning through osmosis and all that kind of stuff um but sequence bio is a team and it doesn't matter whether i'm talking to someone in ontario or whether i'm talking to somebody in st john's or whether i'm talking to someone in scotland you, you are one cohesive team so do you have any suggestions or thoughts on how you help the culture stay strong and the team stay strong when everyone's so so remote um culture is really really important uh for us and again, it goes right back to our onboarding and our training. And we're very explicit about what our culture is. We have a culture deck that helps people understand. Um, we have three documents that we call them the manifestos. One's how we work, how we lead, and how we grow, where we talk about all the different elements of being a part of the sequence bio team. So how we work is all about your day-to-day, -day, how we interact with each other, how do, what, what tools do we use, how do we use them. Um, how we lead is how leaders in the company expect themselves or, or how we expect them to conduct themselves about respectful workplace, diversity, inclusion, those things. And that's totally open to everyone so that if there's aspiring leaders in the company, they know how to model leadership behavior. Uh, and then how we grow is all about how do we, how do you grow and advance in your role? How do you work with a coach or uh, your own professional development plan? Um, so we've been just very deliberate and intentional from the beginning and some would argue like almost overly so but you know what I, I would much rather be totally open and transparent and we show people i when someone joins the company here's here's how we do things at sequence bio but we are open enough i'd say just because we did something this way yesterday doesn't mean we'll do it that way tomorrow if you have a better idea open to hearing it but this <laughs> this is how we do things today um and we just find because of that, um, we've had a number of strong personalities come in from different organizations. And, you know, there is a risk that anytime that happens, they could bring with them other habits from those organizations. And, and this is all about us just having that set intentional standard for how we expect ourselves to work. Yeah. Yeah. The, the clarity, I think, that goes along with that goes a long way. It doesn't mean everyone's going to get it straight off the bat, but it makes it so much easier when the expectations are clear from the beginning. and now everybody knows what's supposed to happen. Then if you need to have a conversation about it, people at least know why and they're not wondering you know, what you're talking about and how that happened. But it makes sense. And you do, you, I think you do a really good job, you know, 
talked about this a little bit too with some of the other people we interviewed it's so easy to have values that you put on posters and put in brochures and then put in a drawer um but the you know the tools I, I watch sequence live the tools you have right so you you know you have your decision making wheels you have your tools for having the conversations and they actively live in what you do day in day out and I think that makes a difference as well yeah, and they're not overly prescriptive so I, I view our core values it, it took us three or four months to and this was a number of years ago to really pick the right words and and to say it in the right way and it was not about like even when you read them, most folks can remember them. They can wrap their minds around them, and they'll they'll hear them repeated. Like again, doesn't matter who you're talking with in the org. Somebody is on any given day is going to quote one of our core values, and I love it because it means they're using those as a, a guiding principle for whatever they're doing. Like one of our one of our core values is find the smarter way, and that's all about innovation. That's about doing things a bit differently or or smarter, and and that. I can tell you a number of ways uh, that benefits us. So in our HR department, uh, we have an employee who recommended that we implement a human resource management system because we're doing things manually. And so when she actually pitched that to me for a budget item, uh, she said, this is a smarter way <laughs> of doing this. This is what the way we were doing it yesterday is not good enough. This is the smarter way. And, you know, just this, here's how much time it's going to save us. And here's the benefit. And I'm like, yeah, of course. That, that that makes sense. And so I, I love it when um, our staff and our team use the core values because you know, they mean something to us. Yeah, they're and they're specific to sequence. They're not a generic set of randomly, you know, it's very easy when people have loyalty or more generic values, but yours are written to be specific to sequence and what sequence is trying to achieve. And I think that makes a big difference. Um, I think I've got time for one more question. What's the one, I guess, what's the one most important thing? If you could talk to anybody about everything you've done with people in teams, what's the one most important thing you think you've done? Yeah, I think the most important thing I've done has been to be aware of the energy that I would bring into a room. And I'm, I'm very open about this, but it's that idea, I think, as a leader in an organization, um, you're constantly setting the tone. So whether or not that's uh, maybe there's a heated debate happening in a room, well, you have an opportunity to lower the temperature as a leader. Um, if you come into a situation and you're visibly frustrated right off the bat, you're, you're going to put everybody off or at ease. And um, I've worked very hard to be conscientious of the energy that I, as a leader, that I bring to these situations. Um, and I, encourage transparency. So we, we talked about the whole psychology approach. Anyone in the, in the organization can see my disk profile, for instance. And it's totally open. Like when I, when I communicate with them, I'll say, you know, as a, a D, this is what it means, or this is how I'm showing up. Um, and that creates a, an openness and a willingness for other folks to recognize that we, these differences are okay and they're valued. And so I think just being open about that and, and aware of the energy that you bring as a leader is, is really important. And I certainly see that in my interactions with you. I mean, you talked about, you know, the, the conversations we have about the HR side of things. Um, and, you know, my commentary is often on perceptions, impact, that side of stuff. And you're always open to how did it come across? What did you see? How, you know, would you have done it differently? And doesn't mean I'm right necessarily, but that 
that willingness to even acknowledge, you know, this is how I show up and sometimes I show up differently and sometimes I get it right and sometimes I don't is a really important thing to ha- allow people to have the conversations and give the feedback. Something something I personally value about the work that we do together. Yeah, I value it too. So one of the things that often comes up in conversations for us, Chris, or in the work that we do is around conflict. So in an organization like yours, we've already talked about the level of diversity that you have, diversity of experience, of cultures, of people in different locations, of people with different personalities and ways of doing. So as soon as you up the diversity, the, challenge, the chances are you're going to get a degree of conflict. So what what do you do to try and ensure that your team works effectively together? Yeah, so conflict is definitely not a dirty word. Um, there's a certain amount of conflict which is going to yield the, the best result because it means people are challenging somebody um, maybe on how they made a decision or their assumptions. And so a certain amount of conflict is optimal. And so I think our role as leaders is you need to make sure there is some conflict because conflict avoidance isn't healthy. If people aren't are just yes people or they're not challenging a decision, that's not good. So you have to help those who maybe don't feel comfortable giving comp or sorry, giving feedback or constructive criticism, help them actually engage in some healthy conflict. And then you need to curb those who have destructive feedback or ineffective feedback so that you're not teetering over into uh, like the dangerous conflict territory where things totally erode. So I view my role as putting kind of like the, the bumpers on a road, you know? I got to I got to keep the team aligned on a certain way. And so the way I do that is I, I created and I've communicated to the team um, that we, sometimes we have debate meetings. So we actually have this. So we would say we want to debate. So conflict debate, whatever you want to call it. It's not a dirty thing. It's not a bad word. We say, all right, we're going to get in a room. Everybody's going to come prepared to discuss. And then we just engage in a, in a healthy debate and people understand that, okay, you're coming into the room. But what's important about these debate meetings is they aren't decision meetings. So it makes it much lower stake. So people don't feel like if I don't get everything right or I don't make my argument totally coherent right now that I'm, I'm going to fail. It's kind of like, no, we separated the debate meeting from the decision meeting so that folks come in, you engage in your debate and you hear the other person's perspective plainly and openly. And then we can choose at the end. I'm, I'm actually in the middle of a, a decision right now where we had a really healthy debate yesterday. We paused it and we're going to revisit it again on Tuesday because we the debate's not concluded. And we're going to give everyone an opportunity to go back, think about their positions, think about what their teammates have said. We're going to go back into the room again. So we're actually scheduling a conflict time. Um, but we also created other rules like when we make a decision, so that I am going to ultimately, this is an executive decision we're making next week. When that decision gets made, it's final unless there's net new information. And this is important. So we we don't allow people to, after the decision is made, they need to uh, agree to it. And we all leave that room committed, even if there's not consensus. Now, if we find out something net new that would impact the decision, we can open it up again. But other than that, you're not allowed to open up a decision that was made. And the, these rules of engagement, which is spelled out in, in um, our how we lead guidelines, actually make this totally transparent to folks. So that's one way we create an, a space, a safe space to actually have conflict. The other thing that we've done 
which I think is really important and every organization should have this, but we've created a respectful workplace guidelines. So there's lots of behavior of past decades that are totally inappropriate in a modern work- workplace. Um, and we've made that very clear to our team. So we, again, as part of having these bumpers on the road, we say, you're not allowed, you know, you can't engage in, in yelling or dismissive behavior of your colleagues. Like you need to treat each other like professionals. And you might say, of course you do. But you just, when people get heated, you never know. Sometimes people go across the line. Um, and so we make it really clear that we can, you know, disagreeing with each other is not unprofessional. Um, but how you disagree with them can veer into that category. And so, again, we just are totally transparent and clear on what the rules of engagement are so that we can engage in, in healthy conflict. And the, the feedback part of that for me is so very key because, you know, there are certain things that show up in a respectful workplace policy, which the majority of us would get, which would not be happening, you know, not be healthy. So, you know, when you talk about yelling, most people get that they probably shouldn't yell at people these days in the workplace. Um but some of it comes up because of preference preferences. Sometimes I'm sharper than you are. Sometimes I'm more direct than you are. Sometimes I'm more round the houses than you are. Um, so I think that, you know, having the having the structure is really important. And I love that you're creating the safe space, but also the mindset around there's a because we talk about it, there's a productive conflict and an unproductive conflict. Let's be clear about the difference between the two. Yeah, and we we got into some specifics too, like utilizing these tools that facilitate remote work. Our respectful workplace policy is not just generic that you would read it and it wouldn't apply. Like it actually talks about, well, how, how does it mean to be a respectful colleague on a video conference? Or what about in a shared uh, cloud document in terms of comments? And so we're not overly prescriptive, but we give guidance so that when somebody steps outside of that, we can sort of uh, correct that behavior. And you do some of that in a very sequenced way for me. So, you know, talking about Legos earlier, but Sequence has some of its own cultural language, like taking care of your cat and other things that are <laughs> shorthand rules of engagement, right? And you're doing it in a way that's, you know, aligned to your culture, but make something like a respectful workplace policy, which can be and feel very generic, actually relevant to Sequence. So I don't know if you want to explain what taking care of your cat is. <laughs> well, and I think that that's all part of the culture, right? It's it's a shared set of language and understanding that, that enables us to communicate something very powerful with a limited amount of words. So uh, because we're remote, uh, we're all, and we have a ton of single points of failure within the company because we're all doing things in our own areas. Um, we have an expression called don't kill your cats. And, and that is you think about the work you do as a, as a cat, <laughs> And what do you need to do? Cats are, are somewhat independent, but you need to make sure that they're fed and they have shelter and they're taken care of properly. And so we ask people to take care of their work much like they take care of a cat. And it just means being considerate. And, you know, we have a very flexible paid time off policy at Sequence. And the underlying premise of that is, well, if you were to go on vacation for several weeks, you wouldn't just, you know, lock your cat at home and say, see you later, see you in three or four weeks. You'd make sure that your cat's taken care of. You know, yeah, I have a teammate going to check in on it, maybe put some food in the bowl or whatever. So, you know, there's, there's expressions like that that we talk about. And you'll, you'll hear it so casually with the team. And, and it strikes me when we have a new team member join, maybe their first or second week, and someone's in a meeting and they so casually just say, like, I didn't mean to kill my cat. I was doing this over here. And I'm like, 
just for clarity for the new team member, no cat was actually harmed. They're like, no, no. But uh, yeah, it's, you don't realize sometimes how we do we do those things. Um, but yeah, we just we just create it, and uh, you'll uh, you can see that if you look in our cultural documents, like I mentioned, how we work, how we lead, how we grow. There's a number of these types of terms um, that we use that just help describe complex situations because it's it's a guiding principle. So. Don't kill your cat means something to everybody, and it's just a way of talking about responsibility um, in a smart way and a sequence bio specific way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today for sharing your insights. I'm taking a lot away around the value and the clarity and the need to be coachable and and to to be intentional about the things that you do around people. So it's not always about having everything nailed down and, and figured out, but being clear and allowing the space for the conversation becomes really key. So thank you once again, and uh, you hope you have a wonderful weekend and the rest of your week. All right, thanks, Jess. It was fun. Take care. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Unlocking Your People podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when leaders have the right strategies and frameworks to tackle the tough people stuff within their business and organizations. To learn more about how Jess and her team can potentially help your organization unlock the potential in its people, take a look at the options at www.e3.ca. The better your people perform, the better your business will perform. Once again, it's www.e3.ca. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.